Well, good morning. Thank you very much. It's good to, good to be back with you this morning. So, Well, this morning we are going to be in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 4. Now, if you are not familiar with the context of this passage, let me very quickly bring you up to speed. God's people, the people of Judah, because of their disobedience to God, they've been defeated. And Daniel, the author of this book, has been taken captive by the chosen instrument of God's discipline, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Daniel was one of the royal children of Judah that Nebuchadnezzar took as a captive far away from their homes, far off to Babylon, where he sought to re-educate them, to reprogram them in the ways and in the thinking of the Chaldeans, the people of Babylon. Now, despite the isolation, despite the indoctrination, despite Nebuchadnezzar's attempts to force them to exchange their Judaism for his paganism, despite his attempts to give them a new identity, Daniel has stayed true. Daniel has stayed true to his God, and he has stayed true to his faith, and he has stayed true to his values. And because of that, he has been blessed by God. Even though he is a captive, he is placed in a position of authority, and eventually he becomes even a respected counselor of King Nebuchadnezzar himself. Well, the first three chapters of this book tell us not only of the incredible faithfulness of Daniel, as well as the faithfulness of his, his friends, his fellow captives, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, but also we see the stubborn arrogance of King Nebuchadnezzar. You see, God has revealed himself to this man in some rather spectacular ways. And yet this king, this king has obstinately refused to humble himself. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is no skeptic. In fact, I would say he is a man who is quite religious. He believes that God exists. He recognizes God's amazing power. But to this point, he has refused to submit himself to God. The king has arrogantly refused to humble himself before the Lord. That's a mistake. That's a, that's a mistake. And here's why. God, God loves him. God loves him. In fact, God loves him so much that he won't just leave Nebuchadnezzar's arrogance alone. You see, God would rather that we choose humility. But if we won't, if we refuse, he loves us enough to give us humiliation. Because you see, he knows that the one thing that can free us from the destruction of self-worship comes either through humility or through humiliation. 
Well, will you stand with me as we read our text for this morning in Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, there Daniel writes, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in my bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers. The decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the, the interpretation, because 
all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant in which was food for all under which beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. And let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is this not great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, 
lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever for His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Let's pray. Father, we have heard your word. Now grant us the grace, Lord, to hear it spoken from you to us. Father, I pray that you would grant us the grace to be able to understand, Lord, what it is that you would speak into our lives. Father, that you would give us eyes to see that in arrogance that resides so stubbornly within our hearts. Father, I pray that this morning you would set so clearly before us the choice that you give us between the path of humility and the path of humiliation. Father, that we might see your great love for us your desire to give us that which is truly good and to free us from that which is utterly destructive. Use this time, Lord. Grant me the grace, Lord, to clearly, to accurately convey your message to your people and grant them the grace to hear it and to respond to it. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated. Understand, or maybe for many of you, remember. Remember that salvation comes not to those who deserve it, because, let's be honest here, it is only Jesus who could ever deserve heaven. Rather, salvation comes only to those who receive it. And it is only from Jesus that we can receive salvation. As Jesus himself put it in John 14, 6, telling his disciples how it is that they could get to heaven, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so it is only when we humble ourselves, when we admit our inadequacy, when we confess our sinful need to receive his cleansing and his forgiveness. It is only then that we are saved. You see, salvation comes only to those who humble themselves before God. 
agreeing that their past needs forgiving and that their present and their future need his lordship. I'll tell you, I need God's forgiveness. I need God's forgiveness for my past and I need his lordship over my now. That is the only path to heaven. That is the only path to heaven. And yet we resist it. We resist it. We resist surrender. Just like King Nebuchadnezzar, we resist humility. King Nebuchadnezzar, even when he saw the power of God, revealed through Daniel's interpretation of his dream back in chapter 2, or, or when he saw the reality of God there in chapter 3 when Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were miraculously preserved through the fire of the furnace <laughs> that Nebuchadnezzar himself had thrown them into. Even though Nebuchadnezzar was forced to admit God's existence and to confess his incomparable power, yet even then this king refuses to surrender himself to God. That is, I believe, until chapter 4. Look there, verses 1 through 3. There King Nebuchadnezzar announces to all peoples, nations, and languages that he wants to, to, to declare something to them. He wants to declare all that God has done, the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for him. Here we see Nebuchadnezzar praising God. He, he's talking about the Lord the way that he used to talk about himself. How great are his signs, he declares. How mighty are his wonders. His kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, his domain endures from generation to generation. Hey, something has changed here. Something has changed. Nebuchadnezzar himself has changed question is how? Well, what has happened? Well, we'll look at verse 4 because there I believe the king begins to tell us the story of his transformation, the story of his salvation. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. In other words, everything was great. Everything was great until that is he had a dream that made him afraid. When that happened, he did what he had done before, and he called in his wise men. And just like has happened before, after calling in his wise men, he found that they really could not help him much at all. Verse 7, the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. But then Daniel comes in. Daniel comes in. And in verse 8, Nebuchadnezzar, who is not yet converted, calls him Belteshazzar. That's uh, the pagan name that the king had given him. And now, in Nebuchadnezzar's eyes, Daniel, Daniel is tied inextricably to his God. Uh, there is a connection there uh, that the, so much so that the king describes Daniel as being the one in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. 
Friends, that's how it's supposed to be. Those of us who belong to the Lord, that's supposed to be clear to everyone that we belong to Him. We are to, to represent Him to this world in which we live. We are, Scripture says, His ambassadors. That's one way that this world can come to know the Savior, by looking at us. That's why Jesus told his disciples, back in Matthew chapter 5, there in verse 14, he tells them that they are the light of the world. You and I, we are supposed to reflect Christ to the world around us. We're to reflect his values and his words. We're to reflect his heart to those who don't know him. You see, for Nebuchadnezzar, talking to Daniel was just like talking to God. That thought, that thought right there, that should have an impact on us who belong to Christ. That should have an impact on those of us who are to be his ambassadors. That ought to govern every word that comes out of our mouths, every post that we put on Facebook, every tweet that we let out on Twitter. It should govern who we are. Well, in verse 10, wanting to know the true meaning of his dream, Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel all about it. He saw a tree in the midst of the earth. Its height was great. The tree grew, became strong. It reached to the heavens. It was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit was abundant, and it, and it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches. And all flesh was fed from it. What a beautiful dream. Oh, what a lovely scene. Oh, but that wasn't the whole dream. That was just the beginning. You see, then an angel, an angel comes on the scene. It came down from heaven, and this angel commanded, chop down the tree. I think it was a North Idaho angel, possibly. <laughs> chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. The tree was to come down. Oh, but the stump and its roots would be left, a band of iron and bronze wrapped around it. And then in the midst of verse 15, the dream changes, as dreams are apt to do. And it seems that the tree now might be a man, and this man is living out amidst the grass of the field. He's living like an animal, and far worse, as verse 16 tells us, his mind is changed from the mind of a man to the mind of a beast. And so, having told Daniel the dream, Nebuchadnezzar now asks for the interpretation. Personally, personally, I think Nebuchadnezzar already knew what the dream meant. I think he already knew. I mean, honestly, maybe not the details, maybe not all of it, but I think he, he understood the main point. That's why it scared him. This is not a scary dream. Someone chopping down a tree, that is not a terrifying dream unless you understand that you are that tree. 
for Daniel. Uh, for Daniel, I don't think the, the hard part here was knowing what the dream meant. Oh, I think that was pretty self-evident. I think the hard part, the hard part was being brave enough to tell it to the king. Isn't that how it goes? Isn't that how it is? Sometimes we know what has to be said. We know that we've got to confront someone about sin in their life. We've got to warn someone who is living in rebellion against God. We're afraid. We're afraid of how they'll respond. We're afraid of, of doing it wrong. We're afraid of, of what others will think of us. We're afraid of so very many things. You know, being a messenger, it's hard. It's hard because as a messenger, we don't get to pick the message. We only have to deliver it. Oh, we see in verse 19, Daniel was afraid. He, he was afraid. But look at what he did. Look at what he did. Partway through verse 19, Daniel, uh, again, here he is called Belteshazzar. He said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, for your enemies. Daniel says to the king, oh, king, I truly wish I truly wish that this dream were not about you, but it is. Daniel responds in the way that Paul tells us to in Galatians chapter 6. Uh, there, Paul says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. See, here Daniel has compassion. He has compassion for Nebuchadnezzar. Think about that for a minute. Think about that. He has compassion for the man who conquered his nation. He has compassion for the man who, who took him captive, drug him away from his family. He has compassion, not because Nebuchadnezzar deserved compassion, Daniel has compassion despite everything that Nebuchadnezzar has done. Daniel has compassion for Nebuchadnezzar because of the Lord. Because of the Lord. Here's reality. Here's reality. For those of us who belong to Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't belong to Christ, this, this doesn't apply to you. But for those of us who call him Lord. Understand this. He has loved us, as Paul said, while we were yet his enemies. That's what it says in Romans chapter 5. He loved us while we were yet his enemies. And John says this in 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. So doesn't it make sense for those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who belong to him, for those of us who have been loved by him while we were yet his enemies and who have been loved by him so that we might love others? Doesn't it make sense that we too, in Christ, can love our enemies? 
while they are yet our enemies? It does. We can. It is what he commands of us. It is what he calls us to. It's, it's what he equips us for. It's what he enables us to do. If we will only be willing. Friends, we never, we, we never need to be harsh or hateful. But rather, we have been given the ability by Christ himself to be compassionate and to be loving. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that loving compassion, to also be absolutely truthful. Amidst the compassion in what Daniel says, don't overlook his bold truthfulness. Look at verse 20. The tree you saw, and then skip to verse 22, it is you, O king. It's you. Even though you have grown and become strong, even though your greatness has grown and reaches heaven, you, O king, are going to be cut down. There's no doubt. Because as we read in verse 23, it was commanded by a watcher, by a holy one, by an angel of God. Therefore, it is God's judgment. It is, as verse 24 says, a decree of the Most High. God himself has determined that Nebuchadnezzar will lose his kingdom. And with it, his sanity. Nebuchadnezzar will be driven, verse 25, from among men, and he will live with the beasts of the field and eat grass like an ox. I know this sounds crazy, but this is actually a thing. It's called boanthropy. Boanthropy, it's an actual psychological disorder where someone in a delusional state believes themselves to be an ox or a cow. And so they begin to attempt to live and they begin to behave accordingly. And Nebuchadnezzar, we read, will remain like this, delusional and grazing until, again, verse 25, he knows that the Most High, the God himself, is the one who rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. You see, the king has chosen arrogance. He, he has refused to humble himself before God. He has chosen to live for self, to disregard God. He has chosen to try to be God over his own life. And so now God will humiliate him. He has refused humility and so God gives him the gift of humiliation. Now, understand. Understand, God doesn't do this out of some sort of petty hatred or spite. No, no. The Lord is seeking to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention before it's too late. Before he passes from this life, and as Hebrews 9.27 tells us, comes to judgment because 
anyone who comes to judgment without having humbled themselves before God, without receiving that free gift of of the grace of God, they will be eternally condemned. And that is not what the Lord wants. That is not His heart's desire for us. Scripture tells us, 2 Peter 3, 9, that God is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God desires nothing but good, even for Nebuchadnezzar. Even for Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, Daniel says there in verse 26 that just as the stump was left, so too. God desires good for Nebuchadnezzar so much that the kingdom of Babylon would be confirmed or held for the king for the day of his repentance. When he would finally humble himself he would again be king. So Daniel, imitating God's desire for the good of Nebuchadnezzar, and not merely just wanting to see God's judgment upon him, Daniel concludes there in verse 27, and he pleads with the king. He says, therefore, O king, listen to me. Do what I'm telling you to do. Break off your sin." Instead, practice righteousness and break off your iniquities and instead show mercy to the oppressed. And perhaps, perhaps God will relent and have mercy on you. You know, Daniel does well here. He does well here. He spoke the truth and he spoke it with love. The king, on the other hand, did not do so well. He he didn't do what Daniel said. He did not humble himself. Uh, Instead, he chose to live for self, to continue on as the God over his own life, to continue to direct himself, to live as if he was his own God, rejecting humility. He inadvertently chose humiliation. Think about that. Rejecting humility before God, Nebuchadnezzar inadvertently chose humiliation. Understand, that's how it works. That's how it works. Oh, we can can choose to reject humility before God, but when we do that, we are choosing humiliation. Verse 28 tells us all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Here's how it happened. Verse 29, a year later, the king was walking on the roof of his palace and he said to himself, is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? (laughs) Certainly not hard to see Nebuchadnezzar's arrogant self-focus here, is it? It's always easy to see it in someone else. The real trick, the helpful thing, is to begin to see it in yourself. It can be really hard to see that that sort of stuff in your own life. You know what we need? What we need is, is one of those magnifying mirrors with the light around it. You know, like they have in some of the hotels. Looking at yourself in one of those mirrors, it is a frightening thing, is it not? I mean, no one looks good that close up. 
Those things are awful, but they are useful. That is, if you want to deal with reality. They're useful if you want to see what's real, if you want to know the truth. God's Word, God's Word does for our lives what those awful lit-up mirrors do for our faces. God's Word is a light to our path, is it not? Psalm 119, 105. It shows us right from wrong. It's like a magnifying mirror. James chapter 1 talks about that, that God's Word is a mirror to us. It shows us the reality of our hearts and of our lives. As we spend time in God's Word, not just vacantly reading, you know, flipping pages and mumbling words, and not either merely combing it to, to gain theological knowledge, but as we spend time in God's Word, asking God to speak to us from it, asking God to show us our sin, to show us His righteousness. Folks, that is the beginning. That is the beginning of choosing the path of humility. Choosing to submit yourself to God and to His Word. <laughs> but that's not the path. That, that's not the path that King Nebuchadnezzar chose. And so in verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You see, everything, everything that King Nebuchadnezzar had been warned about happened. And friends, let me tell you this. If you choose to reject humbling yourself before God, let me assure you that God will keep his promises. He will keep his word. And when we refuse humility, he will bring us humiliation. The king of Babylon became like a wild animal. No longer interested in crowns or thrones or armies or power. No longer obsessed with self with building, with wealth. Now he simply wandered the fields day and night, reduced, or might I say promoted, to simply living. See, again, understand, God is not doing this to Nebuchadnezzar because he dislikes Nebuchadnezzar, but because he loves him. God has removed from Nebuchadnezzar's life all distractions. Everything, everything that, by the way, will not matter one lick through all of eternity has been removed from Nebuchadnezzar's life. Everything that you and I, we tend to become distracted with here in this life was taken away. And the former king was left with nothing but himself and God. And eventually, though he had missed it all before, 
in this newly simplified life, he finally saw the only thing that really does matter. Look at verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. When the former king took his eyes off of himself and he put them upon the Lord, it brought everything into perspective. It brought everything in his life into proper balance and proportion. Everything that had not made sense before when his eyes were upon himself, once Nebuchadnezzar put his eyes on God, it all made sense then. But it made sense differently because he saw everything differently. The things that he used to value were no longer important. The things that he used to live for, now he saw them as no longer being worthy of spending his life upon. Because now, it was God and not Nebuchadnezzar that mattered. Now, it was God's kingdom, not Babylon, that was on his mind. Look again at verse 34. Look at the words of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Those are the kinds of things that Nebuchadnezzar used to say about himself. But now instead... Instead of praising himself, instead of thinking that it's all about him, the king of Babylon honors and praises and worships God. Nebuchadnezzar does what we were created to do. And it sets him right. Look at verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned to me. What had ailed him, his madness, was made right when he chose to do that which he was designed to do. Uh, let me tell you this. You and I, we can never be completely right. We can't be really whole until we are submitted to God, until we give ourselves to worship him. I don't mean that we'll be a lunatic like Nebuchadnezzar was, wandering in a field. But I'll tell you this, we will be empty. We'll, we will be lacking real purpose. We will be lost. The Apostle Paul recognized uh, this truth in an ancient poem there in Acts chapter 17. In verse 28, he quotes it. It says this, in him, that is in God, we live and move and have our being. In other words, we were made by God and we were made for God. We were made to worship Him. To worship Him. And like anything that is designed, we operate best when we are used for the purpose for which we were designed. 
Folks, life itself works best when it is expended as God has intended. Not only that, but there's a blessing that comes when we honor God. As the Lord says in 1 Samuel 2.30, those who honor me, I will honor. And we see that here, just as God has promised the king uh, that once he humbled himself before the Lord, that the kingdom would be returned to him. Look at verse 36. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me. This is a greater miracle than when the man went out to the field thinking that he was an ox. The, the fact that the kingdom of Babylon seven years later is still there for the taking. God has preserved this kingdom through this season. He has held it in place for Nebuchadnezzar. He says, I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now at this point, the old Nebuchadnezzar, oh, the old Nebuchadnezzar would have begun to sing his praises, to sing his own praises. He would have told us more and more of his glory and of his power and his authority. But this king's been changed. This king's been changed. He's a changed man with a changed focus. Let's let him speak for himself. Look at the final verse of chapter 4. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That's really what it comes down to, isn't it? We get to pick. Well, we get to pick between humility and humiliation. We can choose humility. We can choose to submit ourselves and our living to the Lord, to live our lives not for self, but rather for Christ. Or if we reject that, inadvertently we can choose humiliation. We can choose the hard path. <laughs> We can choose to pick a fight that we can't win. If we do that, if we do that, understand this, because he loves you, because he loves you, he will work tirelessly to free you from everything that keeps you from him. Even if you resist him to the very end. In the end, death itself will part you from everything but him. Choice is yours. Humility or humiliation. Oh, we can choose to, to live for self and one day lose everything. Or we can choose to live for Christ we can humble ourselves before the Savior. We can receive his gift, his promise of eternal life. Humility or humiliation.
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the time together that you have given us. And Lord, I thank you that you are unrelenting, that your love for us is so great that if we, if we stubbornly refuse to receive the gift of life that you desire to give us, that you won't quit on us, that you will continue to work in our lives and in our hearts, God, even in ways that we don't appreciate. God, I pray that this morning you would open our eyes, that we would be able to see this opportunity that stands before us this morning to choose the path of humility, to humble ourselves, to bow ourselves before the God who is eternal, who is omniscient, who is omnipotent, who rules over the kingdom of men. God, keep us from choosing the path of rebellion, of arrogance, of humiliation. God, help us to respond to you this morning. Lord, maybe for some of us, it is, it is coming to that decision to surrender our lives to you, to receive salvation, to confess our sin to you. God, for others, there may be some issue in our life where we are not submitted to you. We need to come down. We need to ask for prayer. We need to bow ourselves before you. Others, we have the opportunity to partake of communion. For those who belong to Christ, to partake of the, the, the symbols of the fact of our need and of your provision, your body, your blood that was shed purchase our forgiveness. God, in whatever way you call us this morning, may we humble ourselves before you. And God, for those who find themselves this morning in a place of humiliation, and their world is shattered, their circumstance is a mess. that they would lift their eyes to heaven. That they would acknowledge that you and you alone are God. That you have the right and you have the authority to command over our lives. God, bring us into right relationship with you this morning. We look to you to do it. And we worship you. We pray it all in Jesus' name.